1: From in-depth analysis of basketball and football to life advice, Ryan Russillo has got you covered on the Ryan Russillo podcast. Join him as he talks to some of the best names in sports while providing sharp analysis and wit you won't find elsewhere. Check out the Ryan Russillo podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined as always by Sirit Sohi. What's up, Sirit?
3: How's it going, Chris?
2: Well, I'll tell you how it's going. It's it's actually finally, totally, really, truly the offseason. I, you know, we could we could have done some tiers. We could have done what the group chat guys did and talk about who we think will overachieve or underachieve. We could talk about some NBA future bets or like the win-loss over-unders. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna get a little heady today. We're gonna talk about basketball history because it's Hall of Fame weekend. Uh the 2021 NBA Hall of Fame. Basketball Hall of Fame class is being inducted this weekend and uh, names such as Paul Pierce and Ben Wallace and Chris Bosh and uh, Bill Russell as a coach and Rick Adelman as a coach and Jay Wright as a coach and Lauren Jackson. They're all uh, going into the Hall of Fame along with Chris Weber. And I thought this would be a fun time to talk about our relationship to basketball history because it's, you know, we talk on the Ringer Podcast Network and Book of Basketball specifically a lot about, you know, the historical importance of certain games, of certain players, of certain careers, of certain coaches, but I don't think we often chat about, you know, what basketball history means to us or what our relationship is to the game's past. So I thought we could we could do that today because you and I are of different generations, we're of different uh relationships I think to different eras of the game. Um and yeah, I thought we could we could just kick it about that for a little while. Sound good?
3: Yeah. Yeah, Chris, are you were are you an elder millennial?
2: No, I think I'm Gen Y. So I think I'm not. I think that's what I am. So I'm 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 of. I'm not quite uh, Gen X. I think I am Gen Y. I think I'm too old, too young for Gen X. But I'm I'm probably like emotionally, culturally Gen X. You know, like I think a lot of like my the the sort of touchstones of my my upbringing come from that. But uh, what are you? Are you are you a young millennial? What are you?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm in like the liminal space that a lot of people my age find themselves in where they can't really relate to millennials. Uh, but we're also just like not as cool as Gen Z. Right. Uh, like we think everything is cringe, but we also just don't have like our own imagination to, <laughs> to figure out the next thing. So it's it's fun. It's so
2: cool. <laughs> when you see these names being inducted into the basketball hall of fame, do they sound like uh, artifacts of ancient history? I imagine for you, many of these these people are basketball players that you actually have like a sort of, relationship with like you saw you saw Paul Pierce play you saw Chris Bosh play like right like these are guys that you're pretty familiar with
3: yeah for not the first time but over the last few years uh, we're we're getting into that place where it's not like you're reading a book or watching a documentary to figure out who these guys are uh, especially especially Chris Bosh being sure. a, being a Toronto dude but yeah it's it definitely I think it changes the way that I am going to approach this Hall of Fame and, and the last Hall of Fame as well, where you kind of get to see how players and, and coaches position themselves in their speeches too, like how, how they try to put themselves into context when, when I also have like my own version of events as sure. well. So it's, it's interesting. Um, whereas before you were kind of like, oh yeah, this is the guy's speech. This is like what he stood for. And you don't really like compare it to anything else. Unless it's unless, of course, it's MJ. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, then that's
2: that's in like a completely different realm of performance, the MJ Hall of Fame speech. Um, that's a really good point. You know, like I think that growing up and then even I think as obviously anybody could guess, like when you become a member of the media, you still have your own personal preferences and rooting interests. And whether that's like based on where you're from or like just frankly, like who you like and don't like you'll see names come along and you'll just be like, oh, that's my guy. I can't, I can't wait to celebrate this dude. There's, there's been times in my life where like, I really couldn't stand Paul Pierce. And there have been times where I've been like, this guy is just absolutely amazing. Um, so, and, and that, ha- that happens a lot. It's, it's been wild for me to kind of enter this era where people from my kind of basketball f- blossoming, I guess you'd say. Cause like when I was a kid, basketball was a, like a, Uh, a fact of life. There were people in the game who were bigger than life. There was Barkley and Jordan and Magic and Bird, who I remember from my, you know, my youth, my childhood that were super important. But I didn't really, I don't really remember watching a ton of basketball other than Sixers games when I was a really young kid. I mean, obviously the NBA wasn't like on the way it is now. It wasn't like you could watch a triple header every single night of the NBA season, it was way more local. And then there would be a national game on NBC on the weekend. And I think, you know, I'm sure some people had more access than I did, but that was like the limits of my engagement with the game. And then I think the explosion of basketball, not only as something that can fill up an entire afternoon and evening of programming, but there's so much media around the game now that, you know, I think we've gotten really both good and bad at appreciating things in the moment. And then uh, that's propelled some of these names into a sort of legendary status. I don't really know where you want to start with this. I mean, for you, what does the Basketball Hall of Fame even mean to you?
3: Um, honestly, not a lot, just yeah. because it feels like every good player gets to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm definitely one of those people who feels like it should be a little bit more exclusive. Um, if only just to... You know, you want the thing itself to have to have meaning. And I think, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame, while it's very secretive and I also feel like gatekeepy in, in a way that like most Hall of Fames are like they kind of are, you know, the people who uphold old standards and stuff. It was funny reading uh, Paul Pierce. Uh, Talk about how his agent wanted him to apologize after, you know, he uh he went on IG Live and you know just yeah. gave us a little uh sneak uh sneak uh sneak preview into his life. Um and he said he said no that he wouldn't, but one of the reasons his agent wan- wanted him to apologize was because, you know, they didn't they were hoping that like maybe they were hoping the Hall of Fame wouldn't like punish him. Um and that that part of the Hall of Fame has always been really interesting to me, but it's also like it's their own power is uh is lowered by the fact that like the bar is actually just incredibly low to to get in.
2: I find basketball like my experience like being around the NBA to be it's a for it to be very clubby. Like there is a yeah. real like once you're in you're in and like it's a family. Like they they and they talk about that in a lot of like the literature around the game that there is just this kind of like um members there once you're a member you're a member for life with this game. And with this league specifically, but that being said, there, there really does feel like, you know, no, no offense to Mitch Richmond personally, but I would not like think of Mitch Richmond as one of like, (laughs) like however many hundred best basketball players I've ever seen in my life. He's in the hall of fame. Uh, and I think that was sort of like one of those guys who came along and and wound up getting in there where people were like, wow, you know, like you just really, it seems like if you've averaged like 17 a game. For two seasons like you can just get into the nba hall of fame or the basketball hall of fame it's not as like i i feel like it doesn't inspire debates the way the baseball hall of fame does i mean obviously now the baseball hall of fame is probably also consumed with the debate of whether or not you know guys who uh were accused of abusing performance enhancing drugs should be able to get in um despite their records and their achievements or gambling uh and it's not like the same as the football hall of fame where i feel like that's like you know they got the brown blazers or the the tan the, the gold blazers and it's like real gladiators and they're always like kind of like it feels like the like the retired warriors the basketball hall of fame is just kind of uh like a nebulous institution but i i do think that almost speaks to the interesting place we are with basketball as a historical artifact in some ways do you agree with that
3: yeah, I think so. I think it's useful to look at the Hall of Fame more as as like a guidebook for NBA history than it is anything else because of the fact that they will. Let any, like as you were speaking, it kind of it dawned on me that pretty much anybody who the casual sports fan has heard of makes a Hall of Fame, you know, like that's kind of the bar. Yeah. Like the top four <laughs> players on a championship team, sometimes top five will make it. And it's like, well, people know who they are. That's just that seems like the standard.
2: Do you think all starting five members of the Atlanta Hawks team that made the All-Star game will get into the Basketball Hall of Fame?
3: <laughs> you know what? Like, that's that is like an actual interesting point of conversation because like I could see us 10 years from now debating like, is Kyle Corver a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. That is going to be a question we have. And it's going to be incredibly silly. Yeah. And then Five years after that, we'll be recording a podcast <laughs> on on the eve of Kyle Korver's Hall of Fame speech.
2: Yeah, and then yeah. hopefully Kyle Korver will do a Jordan esque <laughs> in- induction speech where he just like lights the entire league on fire.
3: Oh my god! Just does a complete heel turn.
2: Um, for you, where does like where does basketball history kind of start for you? And by that, I mean what is what is the time period that you start thinking of things in terms of? history like historical terms like that's before i started watching that's before i have like a great grasp of oh yeah like i was watching that and like i i i, I know that like there it's easy to do like old man or young woman like we're we're like we just don't understand each other because i remember when the, we had a legal defense or something but like i i'm curious to know where you kind of see basketball history starting for you
3: we should, we should we should lean more into, like, the ways that people probably think we are. Oh, like Crossfire um, style? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, basketball history, for me, starts at the start of basketball. Um, it was, you know, just a, a Canadian man, a Canadian man named uh, named James Naismith, was in a gym in Springfield, and he put a peach basket up on a pole, and that was the beginning of basketball. No, no, re- but, but really, though, um, I am... <laughs> I'm a big nerd uh, yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Uh, like I I've looked at like the original rules and like how they've changed and stuff. And I think it's like I think it's so fascinating because uh you get to see how certain principles never go away. And then there is there are like the few things where everything else actually is ever changing. Mm-hmm. Um but basketball was invented because football was too violent, really. Like that was like the that was a prescription that Naismith had. I think, like from like you know the dean, um, we're like, come up with a game that you can play indoors in Boston, and it just can't be football because it's too violent, and like you know there just needs to be another alternative. Uh, and and it's like still kind of just been that. Um, so it's it's always been funny to me to to hear people call basketball soft. It's like yeah, yeah. no, that's actually that's that was very much the point. <laughs>
2: Do you uh, feel like the NBA specifically, but in in general, like that the the history of basketball is relatively accessible? Because this is something that I think the Baseball Hall of Fame does a really good job of, or at least the last time I was there, where I felt like when you walk into Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, you really do you can track like the developments of the game sure the different players the different historical moments of the game i feel like baseball has like its history is very much what powers its present it's all about like chasing any of these records mm-hmm. there are certain numbers that we never thought we would see eclipsed then there are numbers that like were shattered you know um and sometimes shattered illegally but like whatever yes. and um you know a reckoning kind of like baseball is done what it can in terms of reckoning with some of the things that have happened in its past. But with basketball, I feel like, you know, I, there are, I guess like the, my question is like, do you feel like basketball has the same kind of indelible moments and historical mile markers that say like baseball does?
3: That's a really interesting question. Um, it feels to me like most of basketball history is, is told in terms of survival. Um, like, the two biggest historical moments at least positive ones have been the emergence of of bird and magic as a rivalry um and then and then jordan and mm-hmm. like those two things like really helped the league like take an extra step and like you know for you know in the 80s obviously it was just it was legitimately a matter of survival those two seem to be like the biggest moments that are that are framed to us but in general though i really actually feel like basketball history is not that accessible um because so much of it is actually just lost um like if you look at looking at popular lore I guess of what basketball history is uh it's well it's incredibly white which is like very strange for a sport that is black Mm -hmm. um like there's a lot of stuff that just was never really that has been recorded but just like wasn't popularized like there have been like there have been attempts right like black magic the espn doc was probably like one of the be- one of the better attempts to like you know show how essentially like you just like can't separate blackness and basketball uh but yeah it's it's strange to me that that has like even like especially now like is not like the dominant narrative uh like in terms of you know invention for example is is one of them like you know the the moves that get popularized uh, i don't think for example that bob Cousy you know, invented all his dribble moves by himself. Sure. I right. think, you know, there were probably some people that he was copying that were, you know, not essentially allowed to 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 play uh, at his level. Uh, same with coaching, right? Like, there's, you know, black colleges and stuff that, you know, like, they played fast before anybody else did. Sure. Uh, Four Corners is not a Dean Smith invention. It's a John McClendon invention. Like, there's a, there's a bunch of these that um, are that are kind of just hidden from view that I think obscure basketball history. Like our idea of basketball history versus like what it actually is, is like, it's pretty boring and like not as interesting as, as like the reality of it. And then like, even aside from race, I think that like goes to like just the way that we, we talk about it. Um, Like basketball history to most people, I think is like MJ. And he's just used as like a, I don't know, like a, a cudgel for everyone else, to like or like just as a, as a bar that nobody else can reach. Uh, but when it comes to like trying to make like any interesting comparisons and stuff, like it just seems like maybe it's it's definitely a coverage issue. Sure, uh, maybe it's a league issue. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, the way that we engage with basketball history is just like very strange. Well, that idea
2: that you had about like this idea of survival—it's like you, when you place the sort of, sort of fate of the league and the fate of the you know the industry in on the shoulders of two or three guys, if you're saying like Michael Jordan saved basketball or Larry Mm -hmm. Bird, Matt Johnson saved basketball, that does like that hugely inflates their mythology, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of like even reckon with MJ as and we're not even getting into like goat stuff. Like, it's just like it's hard to even like when you watch him play basketball, like on old NBA, like on NBA TV hardwood classics, you're just kind of like, oh, wow, that's right. He actually did play like regular games like there were Mm -hmm. sometimes he would just play the Pacers and in December that wasn't always just the you know Byron Russell shot or the Craig Elo shot or you know destroying somebody who he was on the same team with sometimes or an opponent but like he was this like everyday basketball player and that's one of the things that I feel like I don't really have um, as tight of a grasp or as tight of like a relationship with um, like day-to-day regular season basketball the way I did when I was younger and I cared more about baseball. I feel like I really had like, um, people's performances over the course of their careers, like at, like right at my fingertips. And with basketball, there's something about the way in which we, uh, both make content around it and also consume that content that is like second to second and minute to minute and day to day. And it's so granular, whether it's breaking down plays from like relatively inessential or unimportant games, but like really having like this kind of like the minutia of those plays explained to us, or it's just like the kind of constant storm of gossip that revolves around the league now, whereas a lot of that stuff I think was somewhat kept out of mainstream media for, for a good, good portion of the league's history. It was really more, I don't know if I had to point at it. I mean, like there was always like rumors and stuff like that. And there would always be like these parts of the sports section where it'd be like a couple of news and notes, trade rumors about what may or may not happen, but nothing on the level that we've seen since the decision really. And since Twitter really kind of popped off in 2012, especially. Um, But yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about, like, I, I watch old soccer matches sometimes, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, databases where you can watch, you know, soccer matches from the 90s or the 60s or the early 2000s and see different players. Like, you can watch Maradona, you can watch, you know, um, you can watch Zidane, you can watch these, like, amazing historical figures. It, with with basketball, it's kind of, like, limited to what they're showing on NBA TV. I mean, there isn't really, like, the basketball library online, right?
3: Yeah, I don't like, if there is a, there isn't, like, an official one, I'd argue that, like, the closest thing there are are YouTube wormholes. Um yeah. But yeah, there almost feels like a like an encouragement to, to be a historical. I don't know if that's because of there's something in like endemic to the sports itself that that lends itself towards that, or if it's just like Twitter, um and, and the way that we all are about things, or maybe it's gambling or, you know, just like people being in fantasy leagues and stuff. Like it's it's a very like basketball lends itself to towards predictions more, I guess. Um so maybe that's part of the reason that we look at it this way and this it's like why it's why it's covered that way. But it's, I don't know, it's really interesting to me. Um, what do you think it is? Well, I think that
2: partially it's like we've seen the game change so much over the last few years specifically, uh, especially since the sort of, uh, in the advent of like uh, playing smaller, shooting more threes, higher scoring, some of the rule changes that happened to allow um faster pace offenses or more fluid offenses. So that the game now looks and feels much different than it did 15 years ago, right? Like 10 years ago. It just doesn't even it's not that it doesn't seem like the same sport, but it would be really interesting to sit down with somebody who maybe started watching basketball in 2014 when the Warriors got good and say like, okay, let's watch this, let's watch this Pacers Knicks game from the 90s or let's watch this Six Sixers Celtics game from the mid 80s. And see whether or not they were entertained or not, and whether or not they thought it was like fun, fun to watch. I mean, there are certain elements about that which I think would be really instructive. Like you know, mm-hmm. like the sophistication of post play that happened for much of the sports history that has kind of evaporated in terms of both being like a tactical advantage that teams use. But I think even just like the skill level and the mastery of that position of down to play down low and on offense has just kind of been erased from the game. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to come back unless there's like significant rule changes. So it's it's really, I think a lot about how basketball specifically is, is, uh, is this constant evolution. So you're just mm-hmm. like always changing the way the game feels, the way the game looks, the way the game is played. Baseball, they do that too. where They have shifts. They have, you know, rule changes. Guys can take this long or that long on the mound. But I kind of feel like baseball looks the same as it did in 1920, you know, like u- ultimately like the way in which it's played is still like the goals are still the same. Do you find basketball to be really malleable? Like, do you think that basketball has changed since you started watching it in st- stylistically?
3: Well, yeah, definitely. Um, it almost like it, it it makes you feel like maybe the history of the game isn't that relevant because of how quickly things do change in basketball. Uh, but it still it still is. It was actually funny. Like during the pandemic, I think. Um, well, a lot of people like us, we kind of had to just look for content really. Um, and uh, we started watching like these old games uh, back when I was at Yahoo and like we would do it like every Monday. And looking back at like there are two kind of eras that stick out to me. Um, the first is like, you know, the Shaq Kobe era Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that players were situated on the court was was incredibly different. Um, but at the same time, like, it still felt like the same sport and it felt like you would be able to get ideas about what you could do in the future based on, like, you know, stuff from the past. Um, you know, like, it, like the game does evolve, but, you know, essentially, like, there's only a couple of different ways that you can, like, put a ball in a basket, right? Like, sure. that's, those are kind of going to stay the same. Um, and, yeah, it was interesting to watch, like, just seeing, like, oh, yeah, no, like, they just like Shaq can just bulldoze guys. And then seeing the Lakers in the bubble kind of do the same thing was like, okay, yeah, like just because something isn't something that we're doing now doesn't mean that it's not effective. And I mm-hmm. think history can be really useful in, 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 uh, you know, just expanding the context of, of what wins, at least, or the context of anything generally. Um, and then the other one was like, uh, the Lakers with uh, with Powell and Kobe as well, and you know, for for all the grief that Kobe got for for being a ball hog, um, he didn't really like. He didn't have the outlets that you have today, and yeah. it made me realize that like we we've, we've talked about this before, I think, but like LeBron really really shifted the landscape of of the game, like physically, um, just in terms of a ball handler and a spread pick and roll and like having like these clear outlets to pass to. Um, It's just way easier now to, to be unselfish than it was back then. Like you would see Kobe get trapped in at like uh at the elbow and like he has no, like there's nobody, there's nobody in the corner like Mm -hmm. nearest to him. Um, Like there's, there's nobody on the wing. Like they're all kind of overloaded on one side. Like there's guys in the post, like, you know, trying to get a, like, really, like, he would have to be off-balance to get give you this post-entry pass. Like, it just lends itself to either a turnover or, or a bad shot. So that was, like, that was really interesting um, because it allows you to put into context, like, those stats and stuff, too. And maybe that's another reason that uh, people don't pay that much attention to history because like i think context is so important in basketball in a way that it might not be for example in in, yeah. a, in a sport like baseball right where it might be easier to to put things into context but when you want to look at like you know Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> averaging 45 points um or you know all like the some of the ridiculous stats that we see today um i think we know because of the nature of the sport that it's there's something behind that that makes like not, it doesn't make history less true, but you'd know you'd have to like dig into it to find like the useful kernel.
2: You know, I when I talk when we talk about basketball, and specifically with this class too, when you to talk about somebody like Bosch or or mm-hmm. Weber who were so instrumental in changing our perception of what guys that size could do on a basketball court, it it starts to get it very close to the way I learned about music history, and you would sometimes hear bands and the way that you would be sort of informed about them was like, you have to understand no one had done this before, you know, like you may think Mm -hmm. this song is pretty good or you may think this song is good, but like the versions of it that came after are better or like this same style of music that came after it is better. But you have Mm -hmm. to understand like this, this, this band sort of flowered out of nothing and took this thing and that thing and made the Stooges or made the Velvet Underground or made whatever. And in a lot of ways, like that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about the way Weber played, you know, like there were aspects of Weber's game that he borrowed or, or, you know, synthesized from other players for sure. But like having a six foot ten power forward who was essentially the central playmaker of your offense was was pretty novel, uh, you know, at that time. And so and it's since become like not uncommon. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Are you saying Chris Weber is like the pavement? of uh, basketball
2: players (laughs) possibly uh yeah i think also both in terms of like aspirations for greatness and also in in influence sure yeah
3: wait wasn't pavement like um pretty chill about like not being that was the
2: whole thing is that like pavement never like became rem they were always just like yeah we're cool like kind of just being like this middle tier i don't think chris weber was always like cool being middle tier but he obviously never like got to the heights that some of his contemporaries did
3: do you know that the lead singer is also a big Bucks fan? The
2: The lead singer of Pavement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's a big. Ma- Malcolm is in Portland now. So he's a huge, huge Blazers guy, too. Oh. Well, I think he's mostly oh, fantasy indeed. basketball, but yeah. Um, but yeah, like when you talk about these guys changing the way positions are kind of thought about and, and changing the way different play styles are thought of, I mean, we've got a really cool class in that sense, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's interesting to like, look at like, you know, the way somebody like Weber, um, you know, like, was almost a precondition for somebody like Bosch to do what he did in Miami, as well. Like, it just kind of like, it's just like, it's like you said, like, one of those reminders that like, everything is kind of on its own stepping stone, like, like, look at Bill Russell, for example. Um, Bill Russell was like, the first like he kind of invented everything because he was like one of the first people to do it on a high level um and like you know in a, in a way that was getting attention like outlet passes blocks uh people weren't necessarily like you know like blocks actually weren't really that much of a thing like you know coaches discouraged it and well being being a player coach as well sure. um like yeah a, is, ton, a ton I, of different things he, so, he's like,
2: being inducted as a coach now that this this year yeah
3: yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. I remember seeing like uh, Bill Russell getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like he's kind of like the Hall of Famer, guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it's interesting like to see, you know, us go from that. And then there is also like, you know, th- that stuff gets denigrated, too, where it's like, oh, well, Bill Russell was, you know, he, he was 6 Like there's no way that he'd be able to do that in, in the modern NBA. And like that's. Really, not the point, but I think that's like the natural argument that we get into because the way that we talk about basketball history has like more negative comparisons than anything else. Um, like everything is about who's better than who. We never actually like unless it's like, you know, in a podcast like this, there isn't a lot of talk about like one player led to the other led to mm-hmm. the other. It's always like this guy's better than this guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple of things that contribute to that. I don't know why there's so much intergenerational antagonism in basketball. I guess there is yeah. probably in lots of sports, but in basketball specifically, I think the reason why it's always at the sort of tr- like the trending topic bar is because a lot of older basketball players who have positions in the media slip into, well, in my day, it wouldn't have been like this. In my day, we would have like, this guy would have gotten clotheslined as he went across the lane or we never would have let him get an open shot like that. Or if a dude was going in for a layup, you'd let him know you were there and put him on the ground. He wouldn't do that again. All that stuff. And also, I think some legitimately kind of like sentiments about the rule changes made it so that like a guy like me wouldn't get paid like the way the guys like get paid now. Whatever. Then you also have, I think, probably some antagonism going the other way where it's just like these old guys don't know what they're talking about. The game is bigger than ever. The game is more popular than ever. The game is more expressive and creative than ever. So like, I think there is almost like a hostility to the past as well as a hostility towards the present, you know?
3: Yeah. And there's also there's actually like an understanding of the malleability of basketball, even within those responses. Like, it's kind of like hearing somebody say, well, if this thing didn't happen in my life, then maybe A, B and C would have been different, which is like, you know, often, oftentimes that's true. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, like like it's, it sounds like sour grapes from a lot of these guys, but it's, it's, it's low key. Like they kind of get that the sport like exists in context in a way that like other sports necessarily don't like, you can look at Steph Curry, like meeting the three point movement um, at at the, at its absolute apex and then, you know, uh, taking it further. But like, if, if, he hasn't come along at this exact particular moment in history then then things are different for him um and I think like Chris Bosch is another guy where where you could say that too where he he pushed the game forward, but he was also like a little early too um and he was he was used as like a classic twenty and ten power forward with uh, with the raptors um wasn't shooting threes was playing more of like you know, a Carlos Boozer type mm-hmm. of role, like picking and rolling within the three uh within the three point line. Total posting banger up. down
2: low, gra- yeah. like just cleaning up glass. Yeah.
3: Exactly, exactly. Like great post game Um and he then evolved into like a three and D defensive linchpin for for the Heat. Um and if he had actually if he had A, like, you know, come along a little bit later, or also like had gotten to play later, um, if he didn't get, like, those those blood clots that forced him to retire early, um, then I think we would have seen, like, him push even more. Oh, um, you know it's a
2: great what if is if Bosch actually had gone to the Rockets, you know? like Oh, because, my
3: God, yeah. Because if
2: you think about when he would have gone to the Rockets and, like, the kind of the way that Houston was starting to experiment with, like, with offense, mm-hmm. you kind of wonder, like, would Chris Bosch be taking, like, nine threes a game at some point? Like, I, I have no idea, but... It, it was definitely in play. I, I know that Houston was not yet like at their most revolutionary, pure, like, let's just shoot 43s a game at that moment, but like they were going in that direction. They were trending there.
3: Yeah. and every, Well, every player um, who has walked into, you know, walked into Houston has like every all-star at least has had their game reimagined in a different way. So yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I think that's right. Like if you look at like even how Chris Paul played there, Russell Westbrook played there, Harden's game, um, really modernized there too. So that would have, yeah, that would have been really interesting to see. Um, just like, oh my gosh. And just like, could you could you imagine like on the other end of it, like TNT Thursday, it's halftime. Chris Bosch is 0 for 4. Um, <laughs> the, the Rockets are are trailing the Clippers by like, you know, six points. And you yeah. got you got Chuck, you got Shaq, you got Ernie just trying to just just trying to keep everybody calm, but like you know exactly what they're talking about.
2: What is he doing in the corner? <laughs>
1: just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is
2: $25 per month. You know, I think the other thing that has a huge impact on the relationship between generations of basketball players, between uh, the way basketball fans think about basketball history is rings culture, which sometimes I think is a little overblown, uh, but I think is more of a product of the fact that not that many guys get to win rings in in the NBA. You know, like, there there is a lot more, you know, like, I think opportunity in football, I guess is the best way to say. I wouldn't necessarily say parity, as we've lived through, like, a very long New England Patriots dynasty. And, you know, there's obviously repeat appearances in the Super Bowl but I think that there's a feeling that like you know there are lots of things that contribute to getting to the Super Bowl to winning the Super Bowl that football has lots of legends that maybe only won once or never even won at all You know, and then with basketball this class is a really interesting case you know Bosch's career changes drastically by going to the heat and winning those titles and being a part the third the third part but a part of that Miami team. Uh, you know, Paul Pierce's career, I think, is drastically different because of the ring that he won. It's dr- we see him so differently. I think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, like, many people saw Paul Pierce as, like, possibly, like, somebody who was not, like, achieving their potential before that ring, before before that championship. And Weber, I think his career has been kind of defined by the fact that the Kings never got over the hump. Mm-hmm. And that he wasn't the guy to take them there. You know? And so I think that that's also another reason why there's, there is like hostility sometimes can be sensed when you're having these sort of intergenerational conversations between or about players, and they don't and they don't, they don't have a championship to show for it.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I was like, bosh uh, Bosch, Bosch and, uh, and and Pierce, like when you take their their reputational you know flowchart together, it's really interesting, uh, just to see. They like they've both been at the bottom and the top, right? Mm-hmm. Like with with uh with Bosch, like when he decided to go to Miami, that was something that a lot of people criticized. Just like him being willing to be the third fiddle and everything. Um and then he also he had some early struggles where he just like, you know. He wasn't rebounding the ball the way that he needed to, and then he had that zero point game. Like it was like he really hit like bottom of the barrel in terms of like. He was also pretty like candid,
2: being like, "I'm not like quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing here." Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was, and I think I think that like, looking back at even that, like you know, his openness to that, we would now the Chris Bosch that we know now who just like, he just like, you know, wrote a book and is like the, the king of like vulnerability amongst male athletes. Like we would say, yeah, like, it's actually great that he admitted that. Um, But th- like that just showed like his, his career trajectory in the way that we talk about him um, now is like just unselfish, sacrificial, like just egoless, like sauce. Like has become like kind of like a sensei in a way. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it just kind of shows you this is what I love about history. Like no one is ever as good or as bad as you think that they are. Um, like they're usually just like situation dictates so much, like growth is is like always possible. And like then a lot of the ways that like just us as people and as a society, like the way that we interact with with the things around us, like just shape how we view people. Like that is definitely true for Bosch, who is like, you know, gone from like being soft. To hey wait is there maybe like something useful in the ways that he that that he approaches life? Um, it's it's really interesting and it's like it's really grounding. Like I always like I like to read old basketball books and stuff just because like then you can kind of like turn on like what's what's happening today and realize like a you can put it into into like more appropriate context and also sure. just realize that like everything has kind of happened before. <laughs>
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah, when we're like I can't believe. That there's these like the, there are trade demands now. It's like there were trade <laughs> yeah. demands before. Like, what are we talking about? Guys? <laughs> guys were on seven-year contracts and they were said like too bad, <laughs> like you're saying. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. What what else do you find kind of what what else have you have you been kind of thinking about when it comes to like the basketball history topic?
3: Um, well, I think it's just like an interesting meta conversation. Um, I would be I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on just why we don't use basketball history as like as a learning tool
2: well i think that frankly like there is so much today like there's just Mm -hmm. so much for people to invest in i mean even even as we were coming to this podcast for instance i was just like is there like a even like a scrapyard nba contemporary present-day nba story that we should be talking about rather than kind of having this sort of meta mystical conversation about like basketball's relationship to its past and its history and NBA fans mm-hmm. now and their relationship to their past and history. And I think that that's because like we're kind of conditioned to think that like anything that's happening now is just like the most important thing that could possibly happen at any point in history but especially today and especially this minute we got to respond to it, we got to think about it. And it it definitely has felt over the last like 15 years. So I like started kind of writing about basketball in 2003. Uh, for for fun, you know. And now I obviously talk about basketball professionally, you know, much later in life. It definitely has felt like the era that I kind of came of age in, which was 99 to 06, let's say, which is, I think if you asked people at the NBA, they would be like, that's not my favorite era of basketball. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that's not my favorite era. Malice in the Palace happened then. There was a lot of like antagonism on the part of David Stern towards the the players. I think that there was a lack, lack of understanding about like the culture of of the NBA at that time. I think that there was a lot of hand-wringing about like hip-hop culture, and there was a lot of hand-wringing about like guys like Alan Iverson and what they meant, you know, and what they, whether or not they were like what like people wanted from athletes, which is exactly why I loved him, was because he challenged those notions in a lot of ways. I loved him for lots of reasons, but that was one of them. And that era is like probably still the most special to me. I think that like people hold on to the things that soundtracked or were present at a very important time in their own personal lives, like when they were kind of figuring out who they were. And then that becomes like what you kind of put in Amber, Jurassic Park style. And you're like, that's it. That's basketball. And everything since then is kind of like a deviation from that perfection. So I was kind of curious, I mean, as a way to kind of wrap up this conversation, but even as a jumping off point, like, what's your... What's your like frozen in amber moment of basketball? Like when you are are you past it? Do you think now you're like when I watch, you know, um this version of like uh the Rockets now, or if 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 you watch when you're watching like a basketball game like in the last season or two, are you like, yeah, this isn't like what I quote unquote grew up watching or what I fell in love with watching?
3: Uh no, not necessarily. Uh um, like you still
2: feel like you're in it.
3: Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I'd say if I do end up having one, it will probably be like the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you could feel while watching that and like being in that, that you were actually like witnessing something that was going to be
2: part of history
3: books. 100%. Um, and I think there's just like such a special feeling when, when you know that that's actually going to be the case. And then it was immediately the case. Like there were multiple books written about the warriors that, that did just make them Put them like once. Once you have a r- book written about you, you also become part of history in, in a different sort of way too. Like where, like you know, it's just like the m- mythology of you. Like while you're walking and breathing, um, existing alongside you is is super interesting to to just watch. Like you know, players, coaches, everyone navigate that, take advantage of that too. Um. So yeah, like wa- watching. I think like the I'm gonna be really curious to see like where everybody that was on those teams like kind of goes from here. Yeah. Um like when and whether, have, like, when Draymond kind of is of on TNT that. and yeah right yeah exactly exactly right like if their future selves after like that snapshot in time where like Draymond was like a very specific type of person like he was like the the yin he was the the yang to Steph Curry's yin right or like yeah. Steve Kerr's or really the whole everybody else in the team actually just a lot of yin <laughs> um, but yeah it was like that that's that's probably that's probably it for me and I think like it makes it makes viewing these games now actually more fun because, like, you see the legacy of that in sure. in the modern NBA. Like, they're still like that wasn't that long ago, right? Like the way that that Kevin Durant plays on the Nets, the way that the Nets are, um, in in a lot of ways, like just like spread offense. Like, you know, definitely not like they they borrowed from like the the Rockets and and the Warriors, right? And uh, like those are kind of the two teams that like have been pushing basketball to to a new place. So for me it's like I don't I think this stuff builds more than anything else. Like you got yeah. Trey Young now, right? Um maybe that's just like the way that I approach it, but I don't think I'll ever like look back. I hope I hope I I don't know. Like it's, well, I guess it's, it's, it's too not, early to it's say like I look back
2: and I'm <laughs> yeah. like that that basketball is now somehow worse or that I yeah. don't love it as much. It's just that, that time is just incredibly special to me. Yeah. Because that's when I started, I think, thinking about basketball beyond did the Sixers win mm-hmm. last night. And the thing that you're talking about, that Warriors era, not only, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I still probably with that, that two, the, that specifically the 73 win team, there are more moments from that season that I'm like, I remember where I was when that yeah. happened. Beating Memphis, whatever. Like, I just remember yeah. exactly where I was when this happened. I remember where I was in st- sort of the, those Steph- like complete meltdown games like i just always will remember that and there was also something about that team that was effervescent like that there was something that seemed kind of like very very organic about their uh flowering that they're like they they just became like this 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 juggernaut out of nowhere even though Mm -hmm. i know that it was building up over years and that like there were people who were like, "Yeah, we well, knew Steph was good if he could stay healthy," but you know, the, think about like Draymond and Clay. Like nobody knew that they were going to be Draymond and Clay coming out of school. I think I can still get the same sensation when I'm watching. I'll remember where I was when I watched KD against the Bucks and and his toe on the top of the line uh, in the playoffs. There's nothing like corrupted about the fact that that team was built through trades and free agency versus the Warriors initially being built through the draft. Like I don't feel that way. But there is like there I there's a romance to the Warriors thing that I don't necessarily have for their nets.
3: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like there is like it's the fact that it was organic, but also um I think watching them, like you kind of knew that or felt like you were watching the future. Um, like everything that they were doing was was so new. Not just like the The shots and like you know how much deeper is 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 Steph gonna pull up from but there were moments like that like the one moment that I think like will always be etched into my basketball memory is like as a pivotal sort of game-changing thing was uh Steph pulling up for the 40-footer over over the Thunder um and and winning the game um like the shot over Roberson um that like that there are certain moments that just feel like okay, like something has just shifted here, and you see that. You see that with like the amount of deep threes that are taken, and like you can, you know, go fast forward then to to Damian Lillard um, hitting the shot over uh, over the Thunder again, and and Paul George discourse about like hey, is that a bad shot, and then he even he changed his mind. Um, so we're actually like you know like. E- that moment that stuff has its own history now yeah. where you see like the way that the way that we think about it has uh, has progressed and there's like a yeah it's it's so strange like there's such a natural like basketball evolves so naturally that we like kind of don't think about its history but it's so much more interesting when you do yeah because I of mean,
2: that and and all the all the examples that we've just been talking about like especially the more recent ones which naturally we have like more like our fingertips to recall like where we were when we saw something five years ago versus 15 years ago but the cool thing about all of those stories is there's 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 a team and a group of players on the other side of those historical moments that were completely changed by them as well and it sometimes is like Mm -hmm. the most interesting thing i think bill does this very well when he talks about like like sliding doors moments in nba history but like I loved that Thunder team. You know, I loved the Thunder that played against the, the the Warriors. And they felt like they were sort of like, you know, doorsteps to history for that team in a lot of ways. Like there was never, it was never going to change. And maybe Durant understood that better than anybody. But like, I, I, you think about all those moments with Jordan and MJ and and LeBron over the last two decades, three decades. And you're just like, oh yeah, like there was, there was an opponent, <laughs> and that, that opponent's, like, career and trajectory was completely changed by what happened when they came up against history.
3: Yeah, it's like being a deer in headlights, too, especially at that moment when, like, a lot of people weren't really sure, like, is this actually going to work? Um, yeah. That Thunder team in particular, like, was built in a way that, um, you know, it's not like they couldn't score, but, uh, you know, they they valued size more than they did, you know... I don't want to say they didn't run. Like I think, like you know, you don't need to necessarily get into like it being like I don't know old versus new or anything sure. like that. But uh, yeah, like they were definitely philosophically very different. Like they they rebounded incredibly well, and they were. I mean, they had tired the Warriors out. Like they were very close. Yeah, they were up three one, and it looked like they were going to win. Um, so. Yeah, it's and that's that's the other thing about history too. It's really interesting. Like you have these flashpoint moments where like one thing changes and our entire narrative of it is uh, is different too.
2: Yeah, who knows? Maybe Mm -hmm. Steph Curry would have been asking to to go to the Thunder. You know? Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) Chris, are there are there any moments um, or any any NBA history stories that you feel are particularly poignant right now that would help us uh, understand this this moment a little bit better?
2: Well, do you mean tactically or do you mean just like
3: socially? Anything.
2: It's a really interesting question. You know, I mean, I think obviously the Malice in the Palace has been has been talked about a lot recently because of the documentary. You had your conversation with uh, with Meta. That was really fascinating. Like, I think a lot about Iverson just because of, um, of where I'm from and, like, who he was to me when I was growing up. But I also think about him as, like, you know, just kind of like a canary in the coal mine when it comes to a lot of some of the more, like, shit we put on athletes and things that we kind of like the way that like different contingents of fans will kind of project their own anxieties or uh, preconceived notions onto athletes and kind of take whatever is happening in their life and twist it to suit like whatever they think is like what we want from a from a professional athlete. And I think we've seen echoes of that obviously over the last couple of years. So he always remains like a really, Relevant figure to me. I think he always remains like a very like we could we could learn a lot from his career, and we could also learn a lot from. He's another classic. Like if if Steph Curry was playing in the league that Allen Iverson was playing in, you know, like I think that he might have had a similar trajectory. Like Allen, there there was not a three point kind of flirt like flower like flourishing when Iverson was playing in the late '90s and early 2000s. Like it was he, a guy like him was expected to dive into the lane take contact and finish and and go to the line. And I think it obviously curtailed his career a lot. Whereas, like, now I think that there's a lot more protections put in place, really thankfully, to, like, keep our best players on the floor for as long as possible.
3: Yeah, he actually, yeah, he actually does, like, he touches a lot of different parts of history. Um, Also, podcast is named after him. That's right. (laughs) Um, But... Do you ever, I mean, is there anybody that you look at right now, like when I think about Alan Iverson, like the guy that comes to mind more than anybody else right now is is Trey Young.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had to like think twice about like,
3: yeah, I, I think that
2: it's in, it's 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 interesting to go back to Iverson and think about like how I was like, you don't get this guy to so many people who are older than me then. Mm-hmm. And then like just sort of be like, I hate watching Trey Young. <laughs> like, hunt for fouls. This guy sucks. It's bad for the league. And realize, like, that's what probably I thought, that's what probably people were saying about Iverson 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we can wrap it up there. I think this is a really interesting conversation about, like, you know, a topic that we don't often have a lot of time to talk about, which is basketball history. But hopefully we'll hit on it again. Congratulations to everybody entering the Basketball Hall of Fame. I hope you guys don't take <laughs> this this wandering combo to mean that we're not super psyched for for everybody getting inducted. It's a huge moment in their lives, I'm sure, and we'll be watching uh, to check it out. Uh, we'll be off next week, but back after that and and back to getting ready for the next NBA season.